0: good morning and blessed epiphany today is friday january 13th and you're listening to thy strong word the program where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which god bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith i'm your host pastor phil boo of st john lutheran church in laverne minnesota today is the first of a series of special episodes that i'm calling free text first fridays where every first Friday of the month, we'll take a break from whatever book we're working through to talk about a special subject of interest. Now, I know that listeners of Thy Strong Word are pretty astute, so you've undoubtedly noticed that today is not the first Friday of the month, but rather the second. But still, I wanted to start in January, and this is the first Friday since our Christmas break, so here we are. Well, for the past few months, we've been going through the book of Exodus, and we're nearly at the end. We'll wrap up Exodus next week and then move on to our new topic, which will be the books of Ruth and Esther. But what is today's topic, I sense you wondering? Well, most people know that our beloved liturgy is really nothing more than hearing God speak to us through his word while we respond in prayer and praise, also using his word. The Lutheran service book does a good job of showing from where in the Bible each part of our liturgy comes. But did you know That some parts that you recite on Sunday come from the Apocrypha? Which parts, you ask, why, what is the Apocrypha? Well, these are the questions we'll explore with my guest today. But first, you know how much I appreciate the support of our sponsor, the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, not just because they help KFUO bring you programming like Thy Strong Word, but because of all their amazing translating and publishing work, which helps spread the gospel. So visit them at lhfmissions.org to learn more about how they can help your mission and maybe how you can return some of the love. Well, without any further ado, I'm pleased to welcome as my guest, the Reverend Amadeus Gandhi. He's an active duty United States Air Force chaplain stationed at Isleson Air Force Base in Alaska. He's also the minister and pastor to the St. Martin of Tours Mission to the Armed Forces Lutheran Parish there on base. Brother, good morning and welcome to thy strong word.
1: Pastor Boo, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. look forward to diving into the Apocrypha and the liturgy with you.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited about this topic. It's one that I admittedly don't know a whole lot about, so I'm happy to have you on the show. But before we dive in, I know you were on the Coffee Hour a couple of times last year with some various topics with Andy Bates and Sarah Golseth. I encourage our listeners to go to kfuo.org and search for your March 3rd appearance to hear all about your chaplaincy work. But for now, perhaps in a briefer form, could you just share a little bit with our listeners about what your mission is there in Alaska?
1: Absolutely. Uh, So active duty chaplaincy, we're LCMS pastors that uh, have uh, answered the call to military service to uh, support the word and sacrament ministry needs of our LCMS uh, brothers and sisters in the armed forces and their families, uh, no matter where they stationed, they're station, they stationed or where they find themselves across the globe. And as military members, we're mobilized uh, to wherever they are, uh, four corners of the earth, to uh, deliver to them uh, Christ's word and sacrament. And so it's my joy to be up here in Alaska uh, to offer to the saints here at Isleson Air Force Base uh, an opportunity to continue to celebrate what they've grown up with in their childhood, and as the Lutheran service uh, and all the different uh, rites and 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 celebrations that come with it, so um, that's taken a uh, quite a bit of my my time here. Uh, but I still have my my military side too, and I, I treat that very much like a, a mission field opportunity, ripe with opportunity to talk about our Lord, as well as the Word and sacrament uh, Lutheran identity that we that we bring. That's unique.
0: Well, we're grateful to God for people like you who are out there uh, serving for our uh, our people, uh, our military personnel, in your case, our Air Force personnel, who certainly need to continue to have that connection to God's Word. Uh, in a time when I imagine that the spirits are always challenged, but even in these last days challenged by those who are in our military services, I'm just grateful to have competent pastors like you serving them. Uh, before we then continue though would you start us off with some prayer
1: i could absolutely do that and in fact i'd uh going to be using uh, the prayer that's offered to us in the cph published apocrypha the lutheran edition with notes Uh, so let us pray merciful father your word of the old and new testaments was written for our instruction so that by steadfastness and by encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope As we read the Apocrypha, grant us sound minds and hearts that we may discern the comforts and hope they declare in view of your goodness and mercy. Grant that we abide in simple, direct, and useful exposition that is permanently and well-grounded in your revealed will. Teach us to flee all abstruse and specious questions and disputations so that we reject and condemn all things contrary to your true, simple, and useful teachings. Through Christ Jesus, our only Savior, Amen.
0: So before about five or six hundred years ago, you know, no one would have really questioned what the Apocrypha is or what it's doing there in our our printed Bibles or written Bibles. Uh, but today, most Protestant editions of the Bible do not include the Apocrypha. You mentioned uh, CPH's uh, version of the Apocry- Apocrypha, rather, which we have with Lutheran study notes, which is awesome, but it's still not included, mm-hmm. say, in our Lutheran study Bible. So I guess let's just start at the beginning. For those who really just have no idea what we mean when we say Apocrypha or hidden books, uh, tell them, what does this mean, and, and, and how did we get to where we are today?
1: So in order to answer that, uh, I want to let you off the hook and let our listeners know how gracious you are. Um, because for a free text Friday, I could have picked anything, but you were uh, wonderful in letting me uh, pick off, pick up from where I was uh, teaching my Bible study uh, folks here oh, at Isle nice. with the, the Apocrypha. And so they uh, are very cerebral people, and they began the question by asking, what is canon? What is the canon of Holy Scripture? And from that discussion, we dive straight into the apocrypha, and thankfully, CPH had uh, a trusted, uh, if you will, um, uh, and, and very intellectual, uh, uh, a volume of the apocrypha for us to use and walk through in our Bible study. So uh, that's how I got into it, and I think that's a great way to start the conversation of the apocrypha is by asking the question: How was the holy canon of holy scripture put together? If we look uh, at, 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 ancient, at the ancient church, what texts were they using and circulating uh, that brought the people to church, that brought the people to believe and come to faith, and that sustained them throughout time. And so the early church had to answer that question, what is uh, considered to be the holy canon, the holy scriptures, the inspired word of God that is good and salutary for use uh, in our church— uh, and and also in, in teaching the faith and bringing people to the gospel.
0: Well, absolutely, and and so we have this question out there all the time, and I, I encounter people with this. You know, well, how did they pick the books of the Bible? As if there was some, you know, Council of Nicaea secret meeting behind closed doors where all of the. <laughs> patriarchal uh, men of the church got together and tried to oppress and fool the world with a special list of books that they would approve and those that they would deny. But that's not exactly how it happened, right?
1: That's right. Uh, I would venture to guess and uh, willing to be wrong on this, but the closest comparison we might have is the uh, putting together of the LSB, the Lutheran service book that we'd have. We'd had uh, TLH, Lutheran worship, and when we started asking what's good and salutary for us today, uh, it wasn't overnight that the LSB uh, was born, um, but through many meetings, many discussions and conversations, uh, the Lutheran fathers of the, of the Synod, you know, said this is what we would like to put into the LSB. And so not that that's a direct equation to Holy Scripture, but to uh, emphasize the dialogue, to emphasize the struggle, uh, the prayer that went into what is the Word of God and what. Should we
0: put into print that's right i mean the search was for what is what is considered by christians and what is in use by christians as the word of god as opposed to a a myth that came around where they stacked up all the different books that were out there on the altar and the ones that didn't fall off ended up in the bible that was a, <laughs> um, a myth that was sort of critical of what was going on at the time but no things like the gospels for instance were already being passed around as a unit early 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 on Uh, paul's letters were already considered scripture by those who received them and were being passed around and used in churches and then over time other books would pop up but those books would not have any sort of um a credence or provenance you didn't know who wrote them you don't know when they were written exactly they might have had things that were contrary to other parts of scripture So it did become necessary at some point for the church to say, okay, these are the list of books that the church has always understood to be the word of God, and these are the lists of those who are popping up and really have no authority. But then you kind of have this mixed list of ones where, well, these are books that are really attributed to, but but really we can't prove them 100% that they have authority all the way to, well, these are profitable and good to read. All the way then to, well, these are just sort of books that were written to mimic the writing of the apostles to get a, a point of view across that isn't true. So then you have like just black and white, you have this gray area. And the Apocrypha kind of falls in that gray area, doesn't it, Pastor?
1: Yeah. So, you know, really put yourself into the historical historical context of the early church. And you have a diaspora, the Jewish nation, uh, confessing Christ now. And you have folks here down in Egypt. You have folks up there in Israel. Uh, You have folks uh, branching out to Rome with uh, the apostles. And they're all uh, worshiping. Um, And they all have preachers. And they're all um, using some sort of uh, common shared text, letters, books, um, tomes, whatever it might be, to talk about the faith. And so, as and as well as the historical context of the legalization of Christianity, and the uh, the, the exhortation by uh, Constantine then to um, uh, validate, uh, verify, uh, give credence to the Christian faith. What what do you actually believe? How are you different from the, the Jewish nation at the time? Um, what, what what do you uphold? And the church had to come together and say what what books are out there are being circulated, what myths, what 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 uh, uh, what preachers are out there in, in sheep's clothing that are fa- preaching false uh, teachings, and how do we really uh, uh, come to a common uh, uh, set of texts and books that is shared across Christendom that does exactly what uh, God intended to do with His Word, and um, and so you have then. Uh, our our foundation for what is the word of God, but St. Paul's letter to Timothy, uh, with the God-breathed inspiration of Scripture, and so the early church fathers, the early churches are asking, uh, what is Scripture then?
0: Right, and then speaking of early church fathers, we think of say the fifth century, uh, two very famous church fathers that almost everybody knows would be Saint Augustine and then Saint mm-hmm. Jerome. So Augustine is bishop of Hippo, and you know from his writings we can see that he accepted some of the books of the Apocrypha—Tobit, Judith, uh, First and Second mm-hmm. Maccabees, Ecclesiasticus, and the Wisdom of Solomon—along with the Old Testament books. But Jerome came around, and he he sort of looked at it a different way, didn't he? He did. And it's interesting because uh,
1: today Jerome is held up as one of the uh, Catholic uh, Roman Catholic uh, 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 fathers, founders, um, and and primary go-tours for understanding Scripture. And today the Catholics have many of those books uh, that you just listed off from Augustine inside their their, their Bibles. Uh, and yet you have a Catholic father, Jerome, uh, back in the fourth century. Saying, I don't think these books are appropriate with the rest of Holy Canon.
0: Right. He say he starts to form this pretty, pretty firm line, right, between those that we would call canonical. And, and simply canonical means they're included in the list of the ones that have been recognized, and non-canonical. And, and if I'm not mistaken, he's the one that came up with this word apocryphal, which means hidden. And I actually don't know sort of the, the, the story behind why he calls it hidden, but it is that term itself, I think, that causes problems because we think of hidden knowledge or Gnosticism or, or other things, and we, we say, well, you know this isn't reliable. And that's sort of how Jerome saw it. He said, listen, these, it's not that the books are necessarily bad. They're just not sound enough to receive doctrine from. You know you can you can be inspired by them. Uh, they certainly give you some insight, but you know don't be basing doctrine on these apocryphal books. And yet, what um, a thousand years later, at the Council of Trent in 1546, the Catholic Church declared Tobit and Judith and Esther, some additions to Esther and Daniel and Baruch and Ecclesiastics and a couple others. He, they declared all these to be well kind of canon adjacent They they have a special place in the canon not quite along with some of the 66 books but but sort of deuterocanonical they're they're sort of a secondary list and that's why their bibles will contain these books and traditionally our bibles don't but yeah i think it's mm-hmm. interesting you bring up they revere Ro- jerome as, as we all should but they don't really follow his advice
1: yeah, yeah, interesting. And the way you describe Jerome sounds like a man that lived about 1,100 years later uh, after Jerome, who also said the same things about uh, these particular books.
0: That's right, Luther. right? So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. the Protestants, um, Protestants, according to the terminology of that day, uh, like Lutherans and later Anglicans, yeah, you know, he, he says they're good to read, but certainly not a place that you would want to take uh, your doctrine from.
1: Yeah, and so there, is, um, there are criteria that the church used um, to differentiate, and I think Luther really leaned on this criteria when, um, when putting together the German Bible and looking at these unique books that stand out a little bit different from the, the rest of Holy Scripture. And as the church was forming uh, early versions of the Holy Canon, Uh, They were asking uh, these questions uh, around these criteria, the the antiquity of of these texts, uh, how old they were, were they uh, uh, used in the history of the church, were they circulating at the right uh, time in history, the the Catholicity, uh, the universal use of these texts amongst the churches abroad, especially when we get to the diaspora uh, Christian church. are they saying the same things and, and being used and, and advocated by the church uh, over here and over there? Uh, the apolisticity of, of, of the text, uh, do they, they, they are they, they used by the apostles and the leaders of the church at the time? Uh, do they have their eyewitness testimony and credibility uh, as well as orthodoxy? Um, are they actually teaching uh, about Christ, the teachings of Christ and the apostles? and? I'm really thinking about Matthew 28:20, 20, 20, when uh, Jesus uh, sends out the disciples and tells them uh, to baptize, but to teach. And so, are these books? Are these epistles? Are these uh, different uh, uh, papyrus? Uh, papyri? Are they? Are, are they? Are they pointing to Christ and teaching about Christ? And you know, if I might add a fourth and a half criteria, it's that it's Christological. Do these uh, books point to Jesus? Are they about Jesus? Are they about the promise that God gave in Genesis and we're seeing fulfilled uh, in the person and work of Christ and the prophecies of the Messiah. And so that criteria really uh, paved the way for answering the question, should this be in holy canon uh, or not? And then when it comes to Luther, um, by the 16th century, looking at the Apocrypha, what we know as the Apocrypha, looking at Uh, what other Church Fathers have have referenced and mentioned uh, as far as uh, the Apocryphal texts go, uh, how do they stand up against this criteria?
0: Well, and Luther's approach to the Apocrypha, when he prepared his translation of the Bible into German, he didn't toss it out, but he also didn't leave it where it was. He did something different with it. He said um, these books, uh, they,
1: they don't quite fit. The criteria uh, that the rest of Holy Scripture uh, fit, um, and yet they belonged to the Church for, at, at his time, 1,600 years, uh, maybe longer depending on some of the, the, the history of the Apocryphal text. Uh, but at any rate, uh, he, he didn't remove the books, but put them perhaps in their correct historical place, intertestamental, between the two Testaments. And so as you look at, say, a Catholic Bible, or maybe an Orthodox Bible, these apocryphal texts are, uh, are, are are littered throughout their Bible by way of genre. And so, for example, a book of wisdom, Wisdom of Solomon will be found with the other wisdom literature of Holy Scripture. Uh, but Luther, he took these out from the, their genre categories and put them in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So they didn't get rid of them, but just found a new home for them
0: So today we kind of follow that example a little bit by publishing a completely separate volume, which we'll get to. But at the top of the show, you know, in my research, I had found or sorry, at the top of the show, I had mentioned that uh, before five or six hundred years ago, you really wouldn't have thought about it. And that's because in my research, I'd found that really the first people to remove the Apocrypha altogether was in 1599. It was the English in an edition of the Geneva Bible. They removed the Apocrypha. And it wasn't much longer uh, than 1615, uh, during the reign of King James I, that the Archbishop of Canterbury declared the penalty for printing a Bible without it, without the Apocrypha, to be a year in prison. So we <laughs> see there's this real struggle between what do we do with this Apocrypha? You have church authorities who are saying, if you don't include it, then we're going to throw you in jail. Probably not exactly the. Um, the role of church authorities but it was during that time and 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 then of course those who said well it just doesn't belong in scripture proper but we also don't know what to do with it Um, now you do have Mm -hmm. the reformed church for those who have uh reformed folks that they know they pretty much declared it really no value at all beyond any sort of other human writing it shouldn't be considered not only authoritative but not even really inspirational uh, that's the Westminster Confession. That's how they really approach it. But anyway, back to us. So today in present day, um, you know, it's really been kind of not on the scene, at least to the average parishioner and maybe still isn't. But there are references of to the Apocrypha, right, in our confessions and, and maybe <laughs> as we're going to talk about today, even in our liturgies.
1: Yeah, that's correct. It's uh, one of the things uh, that distinguished Luther and and the German Lutheran Church um, from, say, the Reformers and and some of the English uh, translators um, is that at the time of the the church, there was a tendency to throw the baby out with the bathwater, where we have things like iconoclasm with all the images and statuary of the church being tossed out. And so uh, what else should we toss out that uh, smells, if you will, a little too Catholic? Uh, but the apocrypha, and so you have then Bibles being published without the apocrypha as a way to really distinguish um, the 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 division, the the, the separation, of the Protestant Church from from uh, the, excuse me, the Protestant movement from uh, the Catholic Church of that time, and as well, and I think in my research as well, and this is off of the cuff kind of comment, but I think there's some credence to it as well. Is when you really start to think about the development of the printing press the circulation of written texts and documents uh, and the economy of it all. And I don't want to say this is where uh, most publishers rest today on it, but you, you, you end up with a bigger Bible if you have all these extra books in there. And if you look at the size of the Apocrypha Lutheran edition, it's no small thing. So imagine this thing being tucked in with your Lutheran study Bible. You'll be uh, walking around with a really big pocket, and so to save money as well, um, to, uh, they printed the Apocrypha as a separate volume, uh, as it wasn't as often referenced as most of the rest of Holy Scripture. So uh, there's an economy, uh, an economy uh, piece to it as well, I think. And it just aided in the, um, the taking out of the Apocrypha from uh, the commonly used Bible with the Apocrypha in there. You know, when, when actually... there's a German Bible translated to English, can see some of those uh, things start to flesh out, too.
0: Yeah, I was going to comment that I think that that's a very astute observation I hadn't really thought of, because you think of, say, the Lutheran study Bible, which is excellent at any any price, of course, but it's already pretty costly to get into the hands of people. If we also included study notes and the Apocrypha, I'd be pretty thick. Um, on the other hand, of course, the Roman Catholics don't really have much of a trouble of producing Bibles with the Apocrypha in it um and they and they do on a regular basis so it's kind of that balance between just as you said you know if if they're not going to be using it say in the pews or even in the bible studies very much well why bother putting it in the book we'll make a separate volume with that said and again i'm calling for you to make a speculative argument here do you think that we've lost something by not being very familiar with the apocrypha and i speak of myself too i don't really recall having studied the apocrypha in depth i've read parts of it but not even all of it so so have we lost something both as pastors and parishioners by not having this at least as a, a literary place uh, in our repertoire
1: i i do and i, I say that uh tongue-in-cheek because i am like just like you as well uh when i was challenged with what is the holy canon of scripture what is the apocrypha by my parishioners I wanted to tuck my tail and turn and say, well, let's go study Romans or the other epistles, something more <laughs> widely understood, plenty of uh, resources out there that I could easily pick up and uh, use for Bible study. But uh, I took that with humility and said, I don't know. I actually don't know anything about the Apocrypha. I don't know any, how Holy Scripture came to be uh, as as much as I, I could learn uh, i didn't know some things but but not enough to really lead a bible study on it and so with humility i said uh, i'll go study and the the amount that i that i have studied so far and it's not by any means anything significant uh there's such a a, a jewel hidden within the apocrypha uh that bleeds not just into informing our understanding of the new testament as uh, which I think informed, helped Luther, uh, helped all the early church fathers, helped a lot of common uh, exegetes in the uh, in, in in the 15th, 16th century as well, putting together their uh, commentaries. Um, and it's there's a lot of history. Uh, we're talking 400 years or so between the Old Testament and New Testament. You arrive into the New Testament scene, and um, Romans are occupying the land. Where did they come from? You have even references uh, made in the New Testament that, that, that aren't found in the Old Testament. Like uh, if, you, uh, if you think about the John 10, I believe, and the mentioning of the Feast of Dedication, where is that at? But in the Apocrypha. And then, as you see, uh, as we discuss later, when it comes to the liturgy, uh, there are certain um, uh, things about uh, the church that we, 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 we commonly say and take for granted. Uh, that are found in the apocrypha. For example, uh, uh, commonly held up understanding that 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 Christ was born at midnight. Now, where did that come from? And and why do we sing that? And and, and why do we confess that? Uh, and so there is something to say about studying the apocrypha or bringing it back, or at least not shying away from the heritage of uh, of the Christian faith. And now I I. Was not born into the Lutheran Church. I came into the Lutheran Church around high school, uh, and so I, I can't say so much about the Lutheran heritage side. But I lean on someone else's comment that said uh, it's it's part of our Lutheran identity. Um, uh, one, mem- one one person remarked that his grandmother's Bible had the Apocrypha in there, and didn't bat an eye at it. It's, it was what was handed down to her, uh, as it was handed to, as many things are handed down, and to lose that, not be able to speak to it. Uh, or to to even if you if you don't accept much of what the Apocrypha has to offer to to say that with some uh, veracity, I think is something we need to be able to do still.
0: I agree wholeheartedly. In fact, on this program, we study Daniel and a lot of his prophecies are validated in the historical accounts we find in Maccabees. So there's lots of different ways mm-hmm. the Apocrypha can inform our understanding. And as is the subject of our program today, we find the Apocrypha in our liturgy. Uh, lots of parts of the Apocrypha find their way into our liturgy, but today we're going to look at the wisdom of Solomon. But before we get into it, we're going to need to take a break. So, folks, don't go anywhere. I hope you're enjoying the conversation. When we get back, Chaplain Gandhi and I will continue to talk about the Apocrypha, but in particular, the wisdom of Solomon. We'll see you on the other side. back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today is the Reverend Amadeus Gandhi, U.S. Air Force chap at Eielson Air Force Base in Alaska. Before we jump back into the text, I want to remind you that if you have any questions or comments about today's show, you can email me at pastorboo at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook. I'm, I'm happy to receive your comments or answer your questions on or off the air. Now, before the break, Pastor, we just touched on the rich history and development of the Apocrypha, but of course, we wouldn't have the time to really do it any justice. So let's move in to how some of these texts find their way into our liturgy. And one of these Mm -hmm. Apocryphal books is The Wisdom of Solomon, and I think that's the one we're going to focus on for the rest of the program. Uh, Give us a little background into The Wisdom of Solomon.
1: So when um, we look at the Apocrypha Lutheran edition uh, from CPH, it actually has a wonder. It does a wonderful job uh, with everything. Um, but at the beginning, like with the Lutheran Study Bible, at the beginning of each book, there's a wonderful uh, overview of uh, each of those books. And so, if any of your listeners have uh, the Apocrypha Lutheran edition, they can open up to uh, the beginning of the Wisdom of Solomon and see a wonderful overview there. Um, if we don't get into all of of what is discussed there. But we're looking at a a book that um, begins circulating around the time of a diaspora, the Jewish nation, and uh, we find many people in one of the largest Jewish settlements uh, in Egyptian Alexandria, which has come to be kind of this Hellenistic center of the world, Hellenistic being Greek, and we have a uh, saturation of, of multiple... Uh, religions um, as any uh, city a metropolis would have multiple religions are there and you find Jewish people really struggling uh, perhaps to maintain their identity uh, as Christians um, Jewish that become Christians uh, maintaining their identity uh, as, as Christians as Jewish people uh, led by God uh, to be uh, to be a people of God amongst all these other religions and so the wisdom of Solomon really addresses uh, how, how uh, the Israelites, how, how Christians can, can, can understand their faith and maintain their faith uh, amongst everything that they find. And so using wisdom, if you will, uh, they are able to uh, stay the course, remain steadfast in their faith, uh, and, and not be uh, overturned by the tumultuous nature of uh, pluralistic environments that you would find in any big city.
0: … Well, sure, and then so we have them. They're, they're in this sort of Hellenistic, uh, you said Jewish settlements there, uh, and why do, why do we find the uh, Apocrypha, I suppose, uh, being controversial even, even among the Jews? It's controversial, some of these writings. Um, so how did this sort of help them in their struggle for their unique you know, Jewishness, I suppose?
1: Sure, there's an interesting – so… Uh... Uh, unlike uh, every other Jewish text, um, we have the Wisdom of Solomon written in Greek, uh, and so um, there is, uh, uh, depending on who you, who you think the author of Wisdom of Solomon is, and uh, you know many people don't know who it is, and some have made the claim that uh, a man by the name of Philo uh, was uh, the author of the Wisdom of Solomon, not Solomon himself, unfortunately, um, but the persona of Solomon and to be able to talk to the Greeks in their own language, perhaps even use some of their uh, colloquialisms, to use some of their verbiage and vocabulary to get the point of uh, the God of Israel and Jesus Christ across, using this, uh, this language, this, this philosophy um, idea to talk about the faith. And so for the Jewish people at the time who perhaps didn't have uh, a a knowledge of of Hebrew or Aramaic and were using uh, uh, the language of the Greeks um, in in their daily lives, this book would have really helped um, uh, carried across the message uh, to them where they were at.
0: Now, if I'm not mistaken, Luther really appreciated the wisdom of Solomon for a lot of reasons, and it's not because he saw it as actually having been written by Solomon or even having uh, uh, received Solomon's wisdom on its pages. He he says it's called the wisdom of Solomon because it was you know, just brought forth under his name, and it and and it's under his character, and it, it exalts wisdom in this royal manner. But he really liked it because, among other things, the wisdom of Solomon speaks of the word of god in fact in chapter 16 verse 12 in the wisdom of solomon it says for neither herb nor poultice cured them but it was your word O lord that heals all people and to that luther says see even uh, the author himself says that the children of israel were not sustained by manna nor saved by the bronze serpent but by the Word of God. And any time the Word of God is exalted, Luther's going to like that.
1: Absolutely.
0: So uh, we so, find yeah. Luther talking about that more. Um, how? What else did Luther really kind of talk about in terms of the wisdom of Solomon?
1: So in Luther's works, and you can find it as uh, volume 35, he he says much more than what's written inside uh, this overview in the, the Apocrypha Lutheran edition. Um, but he calls the Book of Solomon, uh, it's an extended title, the Book of Solomon about the Word of God, to emphasize that of all things good and salutary could come out of this book, there is a heavy emphasis on the power of God's Word, uh, whether that's the creation of all things through God's Word, as you'll read, or when it comes to the exodus of Israel in the latter chapters of this book, uh, everything surrounds God's Word. And uh, Luther says, this is the foremost reason why it is well to read this book, that one may learn to fear and trust God, and to that end may he graciously help us, amen. And that's exactly what the first commandment says, to fear, love, and trust God above all things. And where can we, uh, what can we trust the most but the Word of God uh, handed to us through sacred scriptures? Um, and no matter where we find ourselves struggling, the Word of God carries us and sustains us. It's that which endures forever.
0: I feel like we've made a pretty good case from history that uh, the Apocrypha is certainly a useful Christian uh, text that we should read, but how is it in our worship? You know, Do we find it in our liturgy? Now, the answer is yes. We've already kind of started off that way. So, so where, and, and maybe why haven't people noticed? Yeah.
1: So in the Lutheran uh, uh, edition of the Apocrypha again, Uh, If you turn towards the back on page 387, the editors have nicely laid out uh, the answer for us with a big uh, title at the top of the page, The Apocrypha in Lutheran Worship, a small little paragraph to discuss where they might find it, but then a nice table with references of each Sunday, uh, the references within the Lutheran service book, and then the reference within the Apocrypha itself. And so I'm quickly looking at it here, and I see at least, Ten references off the top, uh, off the top here that uh, are found within the Lutheran liturgy, and why people don't usually notice it is in the LSB. And uh, I could not tell you when this verbiage started to, started to appear in Lutheran uh, worship, um, but if you have a, the the altar book, uh, perhaps even in the LSB too. Uh, rather than saying which book of the Apocrypha this text came from, the reference is liturgical text. So you'll see liturgical text printed uh, in the propers uh, of the Lutheran service book uh, and the altar, uh, the altar book itself, uh, which is what I have in front of me. So liturgical text then is a, a note from uh, the LSB editors that something here is not from uh, what we're used to seeing from Holy Scripture. And so if you turn to, uh, say, the Nativity of Our Lord Christmas Midnight, you'll see the propers there are reference uh, reference the liturgical text.
0: Now I'm I don't I'm not armed with a LW a Lutheran worship book or even a TLH uh, or an LSB actually I don't have anything <laughs> I'm not in my office <laughs> but if I had it in front of me I do recall there being you know it would say like wisdom in parentheses and then would give the actual uh, citation and so that's for the best you know that's not in there anymore it just says liturgical texts.
1: Yes, in LSB. I, I don't have a, a copy of Lutheran worship, so uh, yeah. shame on me. Um, I do have the, the the Lutheran hymnal, though not in front of me. Um, but yes, looking at the uh, LSB currently, liturgical text is the, the mention there. Interesting. And and not to uh, dismiss what the editors have done with LSB, I mean, if you open up uh, the Pew edition of the LSB, you'll see it's saturated with references to where in Scripture this vocabulary comes from, to show the people that God gives us His Word and and our worship is just the word given to us respond, responded back to him with the very same thing. And so no no hit on any of the LSB editors by any means. But if you are interested in looking at uh, in the LSB, you'll find uh, the liturgical text reference uh, littered throughout there. And that's an indication of uh, something else, another reference, which is the Apocrypha.
0: Sure. Well, take us through a couple examples then so that maybe people can start to understand that, you know, yeah, some of this text is from um, other useful liturgical text, asterisks. In some cases, that's going to be the Apocrypha.
1: Yeah, so uh, for our our study today, I chose the Wisdom of Solomon uh, as we're currently walking through that one in my Bible study, but it's also referenced three times in the liturgy of the Lutheran uh, service book, Uh, the first time at Christmas Midnight. If your parish and congregations are uh, able to enjoy a midnight mass, uh, you will have this intruit offered in your antiphon, or if you move the midnight propers into an earlier uh, time of the day, uh, but you're using the Christmas midnight uh, propers, you will find the introit uh, to be a reference from uh, the Book of Wisdom or the Wisdom of Solomon. Uh, another liturgy, Ash Wednesday Liturgy, also references Wisdom of Solomon as well as Pentecost Sunday. Uh, with the introit, the Antiphon, is also from Wisdom. Uh, so I think, you know, really spending time uh, looking at Wisdom to see why these three services, uh, in particular, lean on the Book of Wisdom for its Antiphon uh, in the introit. And as some people may or may not know, the introit uh, that's our first spoken word in the divine service, and it uh, prepares the pastor and the people to enter into to, in, enter introit means enter into the chancel and the the worship of God there, and so uh, when you look at Christmas midnight, Ash Wednesday, and, and Pentecost, it's the first word of God uh, spoken to uh, from our lips um, as we prepare for worship. And so, what does that mean for us? The introit is often a nice general overview of what to expect um, uh, to be the theme for that given Sunday. Uh, the intro it, uh, as well as the other propers that come together to talk about uh, that specific theme. So Christmas Midnight, Ash Wednesday, and Pentecost all reference wisdom.
0: So for the one for Christmas Midnight, uh, we have part of the text. It says, when all was still and it was midnight, your almighty word, O Lord, descended from the royal throne. That's that idea of midnight that you were talking about.
1: Yeah, that's correct. So, a lot of people um, really love the evening services that surround Christmas, Christmas Eve services. Uh, I'm sure in your churches, my churches, uh, any other Lutheran church, Christmas Eve is packed. There's something mystical, something wonderful about that evening setting that really resonates with the Christmas story, as well as uh, the idea that Christ was born in the night as the angels. I went and shared the news with the shepherds out in the field and brought them to the manger uh, where Christ, the Christ child, was laid. Um, but that midnight reference, that that evening time reference, um, that's that's a, a wisdom of Solomon reference.
0: And where in the wisdom of Solomon is that? What 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 would it say? So we're looking at uh,
1: wisdom of Solomon chapter eighteen, beginning with verse fifteen. We read um, as, as uh, almost a mirror of the antiphon that you just read, your all-powerful word leapt from heaven from the royal throne into the midst of the land that was doomed, a stern warrior carrying the sharp sword of your authentic command and stood and filled all things with death and touched heaven while standing on the earth. I just read into verse 16 there as well, but from Wisdom chapter 18 verse 15 is where we find uh, the reference that we use at our introit in, in the antiphon. And there's a lot packed in there that, although it's from the Apocrypha, it it speaks uh, a truth. You mentioned earlier about the powerful word of God, uh, that what God says happens, uh, as Isaiah uh, has said many times, uh, um, for as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making you bring forth and sprout giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent. So, and that just blows my mind, if you think of the context of Isaiah, what he's uh, saying there, and thinking about Christmas, and this uh, wonderful reference by Wisdom of Solomon, that your all-powerful word leapt from heaven, uh, the word of God that we confess, uh, that speaks, and creation listens. That's an amazing Christmas uh, theme, a Christmas message, message to send that Christ has come into our midst to accomplish that which he purposes, and he shall succeed. Namely, he shall succeed in being the Messiah, uh, the prophesied Messiah, who has come to uh, wash us clean of our sins uh, and and deliver us uh, from uh, death and bring us into the resurrection.
0: The uh, coming up sooner, probably sooner than we want, will be Ash Wednesday. And you've provided the antiphon for Ash Wednesday as another example. Uh, But thou hast mercy upon all, and hatest none of the things which thou hast made, and overlookest the sins of men for the sake of repentance. Thou sparest all because they are thine, O Lord. Uh, Overlookest the sins of men for the sake of repentance. That's another idea that is found within uh, the Book of Wisdom. Is that right? That's correct. And
1: before I dive in there, I, I failed to reference that um, not just uh, the antiphon, but uh, uh, within our liturgy, the apocrypha's in our liturgy, but as well as uh, hymnody. Um, if we look okay. at uh, hymn number 366 in the LSB, uh, it's a common Christmas hymn that, that makes that midnight reference, but it came upon a midnight clear. And then another hymn as well, uh, hymn number 359 in the LSB, Lo, how a rose ere blooming. And in particular, stanza two is what I want to note. Uh, Isaiah's was foretold it. The rose I have in mind. With Mary we behold it, the virgin mother kind. To show God's love aright, she bore us a savior. When half spent was the night. Half spent being a reference again to
0: midnight. Um, And it wouldn't have been unusual at all in the 16th century to include these types of ideas because, well, that was just part of the – the body of Christian reading. The average person wouldn't have really understood all the, I don't want to say politics behind it, but wouldn't have understood all the development behind these things or even the divisions that Jerome had said, you know, a thousand years before, 1300 years before. But it's the same today. You know, we don't often make these distinctions. And yet here we are, we have people who probably say, well, I don't, I just want to read the Bible. I don't want to read the Apocrypha. Uh, And yet they'll bolt it out ideas from the Apocrypha and the Antiphons and the Hymnody and not even know it?
1: Unbeknownst to them, and for anyone's uh, edification too, I, I would commend the Hymn Companion volume set. I don't have that, but a, a friend uh, was able to reference for me. But there's an interesting transition that happens in the year 1599, when this, this, this hymn was sung, uh, between 1599 and the year 1601. A change happened in that second stanza. It wasn't always half spent was the night, but uh, in order to be more Lutheran, interestingly enough, the stanza was changed to say "half spent was the night." And I'll let the the listeners kind of go dig at at, at what it used to say, and what was what why we couldn't say that anymore.
0: That's interesting. That it was also the year the first Geneva Bible came out without the apocrypha. So it's a, definitely yeah. a tumultuous time for the apocrypha during that time. Uh, So, yeah, anyway, moving on then back to Ash Wednesday, though. I jumped the gun a little bit on you, but now we here are at Ash Wednesday, and we have have more. We have the antiphon. You have mercy on all, O Lord, and abhor nothing that you have made. You look past the sins of men that they may repent. You spare them all because you are our Lord, O God. That too, right? Wisdom 11. Correct, Wisdom 11. So we're moving into a section of
1: uh, Wisdom of Solomon that really spells out – uh, not just wisdom, uh, proverb type one-liners, uh, but really talking about history of the, of the Jewish people and God's justice in particular. So a lot of references to uh, the Exodus and the flights from Egypt, and how through God's wisdom He also brought justice upon uh, uh, the Egyptians and, and 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 justice upon the Israelites too. So we're uh, ca- uh, capitalizing then on the theme of Ash Wednesday. Uh, where we examine ourselves, our unworthiness, uh, and our need for God's justice up, upon us sinners uh, to punish us, and yet uh, God overlooks the sins of the people, um, not 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 arbitrarily overlooks looks past the sins of men, um, but because of what Christ has done for us, because what God has done for us, as he did the Egyptians, uh, leading them through the, uh, the waters of the Red Sea into the Promised Land, Uh, as Christ has done for us, leading us through the valley of the shadow of death uh, into the kingdom of heaven, um, which we uh, prepare for with Ash Wednesday, the season of Lent and the celebration of the resurrection Sunday on on Easter, uh, the resurrection of our Lord. And so really diving into repentance and justice, understanding how God's wrath came down on the Egyptians when they failed to heed the wisdom of God, and that their own understanding just leads them to folly and and failure. So God demonstrates perfect justice upon the Egyptian, and Wisdom of Solomon spells that out for us. It's a great way, again, to connect us and lift up uh, our sinful fallen nature, what God did with the Passover uh, and that tenth plague in Egypt, and prepared the people to receive God's mercy. Uh, with the angel of death passing over and being led through the, the waters onto dry land,
0: I think you know. I think about the prayer. You hate nothing that you have made, or nothing you have made. You hate, O oh Lord. And and I myself never really knew that that came from wisdom. Uh, wisdom eleven twenty three. It says, but you are merciful to all, for you can do all things, and you overlook people's sins that they may repent. For you love all things that exist and loathe none of the things that you have made. For you would not have made anything if you had hated it. How would anything have endured if you had not willed it? Or how would anything not called forth by you have been preserved? You spare all things, for they are yours, O Lord, who loves the living. Comforting words here from this apocryphal text, but also very familiar words that I guess I never realized where they came from. Very
1: familiar as we see Uh, literally throughout the rest of Holy Scripture, uh, that God loves the living, and he desires not the death of the wicked, but our restoration. And then Ash Wednesday in particular, it's really good to uh, highlight that, that we are dead in our trespasses, but God does not want you dead. He wants you to live, and he he is uh, a God of love and mercy and compassion and desires not your death, but your life. And so we have references from the prophet Ezekiel, as well as even at Luke, uh, he's not God of the dead, but of the living. For all live to Him, writes Saint Luke in his Gospel. And so, as we prepare our, ourselves for the celebration of the Lenten season, uh, and especially the height of it with, uh, uh, with 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 Passion Week, and then we have the the, the Triduum, uh, preparing for what it means uh, that God, uh, through His Son, has restored us to life. Uh, death is not the end for Christians and believers. And and this is a great. Um, time to also highlight what was being uh, taught at the time uh, in Egypt uh, when the wisdom of Solomon was written was this dualistic uh, 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 plato- platoist platonic uh, notion of of the body that we we must ascend the flesh, we must abandon it, escape the flesh because it is evil, and ascend with our soul to be like God or to rejoin God. Um, But that's not at all what Christ has done with the resurrection story, is that he's been resurrected with his body, his glorified body, and as he was raised from the dead, so too will we, and our glorified flesh uh, will also be with us uh, in the kingdom of heaven, body, soul, all of it. And so it really attacks, addresses what uh, Christians ought to, what what the Jewish people ought to uh, be reminded of uh, when it comes to God who formed them from the clay of the earth, that he will restore them uh, from, uh, from, from death. Uh, and yet, if, if you abandon God, um, if you abandon that life that he promises, then, 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 then the, uh, the exhortation of Ash Wednesday, dust to dust, you shall return. And that is the, the end for those who don't have uh, the life link that God offers through his son
0: this is a misunderstanding that abounds even today right body bad soul spirit good and the goal of life is to escape the body that's just that's not christianity and uh thank you for bringing that up i know we could keep talking for a long time but we're at the end of our program time believe it or not so i'd like to invite you if you will to uh close out our program today with some prayers and then i'll do some housekeeping before we go absolutely so
1: a prayer from wisdom of solomon chapter nine Reads, O God of my fathers and Lord of mercy, who has made all things by your word, and by your wisdom has formed man to have dominion over the creatures you have made, and rule the world in holiness and righteousness, give me the wisdom that sits by your throne, and do not reject me from among your servants. For I am your slave and the son of your maidservant, man who is weak and short lived, with little understanding of judgments and laws. For even if one is perfect among the sons of men, yet without the wisdom that comes from you, We will be regarded as nothing. Send her forth from the holy heavens and from the throne of your glory. Send her. that She may be with me and toil that I may learn what is pleasing to you. In the name of Jesus, amen.
0: Amen. Well, thank you very much for being on the show today. I'd like to thank my guest, the Reverend Amadeus Gandhi, U.S. Air Force Chaplain at uh, Eielson Air Force Base in Alaska. Brother, thanks for being on the show. Pastor Boo, thank you so much. And folks at home, if you have a special topic that you want covered on our free text First Fridays, let me know by emailing me at PastorBoo at gmail.com. And don't forget to come back on Monday as we continue with Exodus 37, and we hear how the people followed God's directions for constructing the tabernacle and its furnishings. In particular, we'll be looking at the Ark of the Covenant and those things within the tent. And then Friday of next week, we'll open a new book, Ruth. So thank you for joining us today, and don't miss any of the program next week. Until we meet again, may God's peace and blessings be with you all. As we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.